I want to describe a fellow that probably many of you on the job have known guys like this. This is the guy who's just lazy on the job. He's not very helpful. He's not stepping up to do more than his fair share. He just wants to do the very least required. Uh, if the boss is around, he might be marginally busy. If the boss is not around, he's probably sleeping on the job. He's just there drawing a paycheck. That's really all he's interested in. He's not doing, he's not interested in doing anything extra. He just wants to do the very minimum that he can do. Let me ask you a question about this guy. What do you think the future holds for this individual? He just tried to do the very least he can. What do you think the future holds? Do you imagine that he's going to get a big raise when it comes time, you know, for the annual review? Do you suppose that when they are trying to fill a, a new position, uh, maybe up in management, would they give this guy a promotion? Absolutely not, right? That guy is not going up the, the career ladder. Not with that attitude in which he's trying to do the least he can possibly do. In fact, what we know will likely happen, this guy, if there's a layoff, he's going to be one of the first ones they lay off. Uh, and in fact, they may not even wait for a layoff. They may just flat out fire this guy because he's a miserable employee, right? If you're a boss on a job, you don't want workers like that who are just trying to see what's the least they can do. That's not the employee that you're looking for at all. Just doing the minimum doesn't get the job done. It doesn't, it's not, it's not what we should do on the job. It's not what we should do if we're in school. It just doesn't accomplish what needs to be done. I want to apply that common sense understanding to our spiritual service to God this morning and ask a very simple question. Would the Lord thank me for doing the bare minimum? Would He be pleased? Would it be enough? Would I get by by just doing the very least possible? I think you know the answer to that question already, but we're going to investigate it a little more thoroughly uh, as we study together this morning from the Word of God. Thanks for being here on this beautiful Lord's Day. We're glad that you've come. We appreciate each and every one who's joined together for worship this morning. We'll, we pray certainly that God will be glorified by our worship. We hope that we'll all be edified as well. To our visitors, we extend a special welcome. Thanks for coming our way. All right. Again, I think you know the answer to this question. Would the Lord thank me for just doing the bare minimum? And the answer, of course, is no. Because we know that Jesus himself required total commitment. Now, that, I don't believe that's news to you at all. I think everybody understood that, understands and knew that Jesus wanted his disciples to be absolutely 100% committed. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus said, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to deny yourself. Now let me ask you a question. You do that? Do you call yourself a Christian? Are you involved in self-denial? Do you deny self in order to serve Jesus? I think probably everybody wants to say yes. Yes, I, I deny self. Well, after all, I'm here this morning, right? We've come together. I could be doing some other things today. It's a pretty nice day. I'm pretty sure the fish are, bait, are, are biting at the lake. 
Uh, It'd be a great day to play golf. Uh, it'd be fun to do all sorts of other things, but I'm here, and so I've denied myself those other pleasures that I could have involved myself with today, and I'm here, I've denied self. All right, I suppose by some degree that's true, that's a true uh, analysis, but when Jesus talked about denying self, he wasn't talking just about denying a little bit of self. Look how it's stated in Luke chapter 14, verse 33. Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Now you're getting the full picture. Jesus said you got to deny yourself. How much? 10%? Deny myself 10%? 20? 30%? No, Jesus said you have to deny all that you have. You have to forsake all. That's a 100% commitment, right? There's just no question about that, and and we understand Jesus always required total commitment. But it wasn't just that Jesus said that, not that he just set that level, uh, but never really expected anybody to live up to it. Uh, No, we know that those early Christians actually fulfilled it. They lived it. They demonstrated total commitment. So they knew what we know. Jesus said, Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. They knew that. And notice how they applied it. We could go to a lot of places in the New Testament. But I I want to go with you to the text that Yancey read for us just a few moments ago in Hebrews chapter 10. Notice Jesus said, called to remembrance, Jesus said this, the Hebrew writer said this, called to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. Partly while she were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while she became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance. What, What was their life like? Well, the Hebrew writer says it was a great fight of afflictions. It wasn't easy to be a Christian in that time. Uh, they, they were made a gazing stock by reproaches and afflictions. They were under the gun. They were harshly persecuted. They also took the spoiling of their goods. I mean, even as Christians and under the persecutions that they endured, they'd have their possessions confiscated. They went through all of that sort of thing. Would you say that they were living out that 100% commitment that Jesus required? Sounds like they were. Wouldn't you agree? In Revelation chapter 2, beginning verse 9, Jesus said, I know thy works and tribulations. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. Be thou faithful unto death, I will give thee a crown of life. Jesus knew that some of them had been persecuted harshly already. Some were cast in the prison and more would be. They'd suffered a lot already. More suffering was going to come. But notice what Jesus required. Faithful unto death. So to Christians that were already persecuted and harshly persecuted, Jesus said there's more coming. Be faithful. Notice, not until, but unto death. Be faithful even if it means you die in the process. Be faithful. It is unto death. And so, not only did Jesus teach and require total commitment, but those first Christians set... They really set the bar high. Would you agree with me in living that life that Jesus required? What about us? 
So now let's apply this to us. Are we exhibiting total commitment when we attempt to do only the bare minimum? Now we can stop right there because I hope our our point is established. The bare minimum does not get the job done. That should not be surprising to us. The bare minimum doesn't get the job done when we're at work, when we're at school, when we're engaged in other important activities. The bare minimum does not get the job done. Why would we imagine that it would get the job done spiritually? But think of some applications. Are we we exhibiting total commitment when we attempt to do only the bare minimum in regards to worship? Uh, You know, when it comes to attendance at worship services, this this ought to be an easy thing. It, It ought not to be the kind of thing that we even have to comment about frequently. It it ought to be just a given that Christians understand the importance of assembling together and worship. And we shouldn't even have to think about doing something else besides that. We shouldn't even have to talk about attendance, but we often do because some Christians still haven't got the point yet. You know the passage that we so often use is Hebrews chapter 10, beginning verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, For he is faithful that promised, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. So there's the straight-out command, right? Not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But I'm one of these Christians that's trying to do the least possible. So i got a question for you. This business about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, does that, you think that includes Sunday night? Uh, what about Wednesday night Bible study? What about when we have a gospel meeting and we meet every night of the week? You, you think that's included? Because I'll tell you something, if it's, if it's included, I'll try to do it. But if those things are not included, I'm not going to do that. If you can't prove to me that it, that that means I should be here on Sunday night, I'm not coming on Sunday night. And if you can't prove to me that it means I should be here on Wednesday night, I'm not coming on Wednesday night because I'm just trying to do the least possible. You, what do you think? Does it include that? You know, when someone asks the question, where does the Bible say that I have to be there on Sunday night? Where does the Bible say that I have to be there on Wednesday night? You know, the answer to that question is it doesn't say so anywhere. There's no exact statement that says thou shalt be at worship services on Sunday night and Wednesday night. This is not there, right? We understand that. But you know, it's not the question that's troubling. It's the attitude. Because the attitude that provokes that question is the attitude we're talking about this morning. I just want to do the least possible. And I don't want to do any more than that. And so we can answer the question, but what's really troubling is that the question would even be asked because whoever asks those kind of questions is trying to get by with the minimum and that's not going to get the job done. What about giving? What about our giving? Here's a sort of an obvious place to make the application of the principle we're describing this morning. I know I'm supposed to give, right? I mean, everybody understands that. Even people who don't attend worship services with with any regularity at all know that they're going to pass the plate 
You know, they have a worship service, uh, especially here, as we do exclusively on the first day of the week, because we think the New Testament only authorizes us to take up a collection on the first day of the week. But you go to church on Sunday, they're going to pass the plate around. They just do that. So I know it's expected, uh, required. I know I should. I know I must. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do about this. I'm going to try to calculate what is the absolute minimum that I could give, the least possible, because I don't want to give any more than that. i got some important things that I want to do with my money, you know. I'm, I'm going to want to go on vacation. Uh, I'm going to want to buy a new car. Uh, I've got some other toys and gadgets that I've been kind of thinking about, and I want to be able to purchase those. And any money I give to church is just money that I can't spend on myself. And so what I'm, I know i got to give something. I'm trying to figure out what's the least I can give. How about that? What about that attitude? Well, again, we know that that just will not get the job done. We could approach this in several ways, but I just want to remind you of that story of the widow who cast in two mites in Mark 12, beginning verse 42. There came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. Obviously, that was just a very tiny bit of money. He, Jesus called uh, unto his, him his disciples and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow had cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all of her living. Jesus said that the others who had cast in just cast in out of their abundance. Would you say that the way we would describe that is that they made a gift after they had taken care of everything they wanted to do? And so what was left over, uh, that's what they gave of. We could do the very same thing. And, and, and although you might give monetarily, there might be, you know, several dollars. But if it only represents that I'm given what I have left over after I've done everything I want to do. I've gone on that vacation. I've bought that new car. I have, I have purchased all those gadgets that I'm interested in. And I got a little left over and I'm going to give that Sunday at church. That would just be giving of abundance. After we've provided for ourselves everything we desire, then out of our abundance we make a gift to God. I tell you, that's minimum, that's bare minimum stuff, right? It's not going to get the job done. It's not good enough. Jesus requires total commitment in all matters. What about Bible study? We put a lot, a lot, a lot of emphasis on Bible study. And so I hope that all of us understand that it's something we need to do. It's, it's an important thing. We should be studying our Bibles. Every year here we publish a Bible reading calendar. And we encourage everybody to read through the Bible every year uh, with assignments to read each day. And we, we encourage people to keep up with that. Why? Why should I, wa- why should I bother about Bible study? And, and, and if, there, if it is required, I suppose that it is, what's the least I could do? You want me to read the whole Bible? That seems like a lot. Is, can I do less than that? Is there any chance I can get by with something less than that? Wrong attitude, right? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This word, study... Uh, this is the King James 
version here. The word study in most of your newer English translations is going to be translated by give diligence. Give diligence to show thyself approved unto God. And so sometimes people quibble if we try to emphasize the word study because the the word study here basically means apply yourself. Give diligence to a matter. We understand that, but it would certainly be applicable in the category of Bible study, wouldn't it? The word give diligence or study would certainly apply to Bible study itself. And we need to apply ourselves to do that. Why wouldn't we? Why would we not want to? Uh, Well, I'd rather spend time watching TV. You know, it's just easier to be a couch potato, as they say, and just sit on the couch and watch TV. I I have to actually exert a little determination and energy to be a Bible student. Give diligence. Study. Don't try to get by with the minimum on Bible study. What about the whole broad area of moral living? The world that we live in is a bad place. We talked some about this in our Bible study hour. We live in a bad world. It's, it's bad. It's evil. I think it's getting worse day by day. I'm sure you agree with me about that. What I'm afraid of is that if you were to sort of graph this out, here goes the world progressively more and more wicked but what i'm afraid of is as christians we're letting we're letting them drag us along that curve we're not at the leading edge of that trend but we're being pulled along by it and that's just not going to get the job done uh we maintain morality but only to levels of minimum requirement and that's not going to get the job done in James chapter 1, verse 27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the father and widows in their, the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Unspotted. That means not any spot, right? Our objective and our goal is to be unspotted from the world, not have any spot of the world on us. That certainly doesn't speak to a minimum standard, does it? Let me remind you of one, and this is just one aspect of this whole business of morality, but let me remind you about the importance of being careful how we dress in this modern world. What? Yesterday was the first day of summer, wasn't it? So now, but we've been having hot weather, plenty of hot weather already, and, and now we're into the dog days of summer. And you know what has already happened and what will continue to be happening is people will be stripping their clothes off just as fast as they can and as far as they can. It gets to the point that you can't hardly even go to the Walmart store because of what you will see of undressed people out in public places. It's, it's, it's just a shame and a disgrace. What about us? Well, we're not going to be that bad, you know. We're not, we're not going to go to the extreme that some of the people of the world do in regards to their immodesty. But some woman says, I, what I do is I wear a one-piece bathing suit instead of a two-piece bathing suit. And that's supposed to be holding the line. You know, That's holding the line on modesty if you wear a one-piece bathing suit instead of a two-piece bathing suit. Really? 
Or, or some young person says, well, I'm going to wear shorts, but they're not going to be as short as, as the next guy, you know. Uh, and, and so he tries to figure out. So here's this kid, and he, he or she's trying to figure out, how short can I let my shorts be without being too short, you know. And so they're actually looking to come right to the line, right? To just come right to the exact limit. Any shorter than that would be too short. I'm just trying to see how close I can get, but I don't. All of that speaks to this do the minimum mentality. Uh, and it does not work. Paul said in 1 Timothy 2, verse 8, beginning, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. And so let us work hard to maintain modesty and morality in general, because just doing the least doesn't get the job done. I, I hope that you see that this concept is really, you could expand it in almost any direction that you want to go. I want to mention one more area where we should not be trying to get by with the minimum, and that has to do with personal evangelism. So I'm a Christian. Uh, uh, I have learned and obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe I've been forgiven. I have that great hope of going to heaven when this life is over. But I just don't talk too much about that. Uh, Now... Mind you, if someone asks me, I'm not going to deny that I'm a Christian. I'm, uh, if someone comes right out and asks me, I'm not going to just flat out deny the Lord. But I tell you, I find it really hard to be aggressive in reaching out to others and talking to lost people. I just, I just, I just don't do that very much. I, I, in fact, I don't do it at all. We had recently referenced to some surveys that that talk about the vast majority of people who call themselves Christians never share their faith with anyone else. And so someone says, that's me, you know, that's me. I'm a Christian, but I I don't want to go, I don't want to go out there on a limb. I don't want to, I just don't talk about that. Very minimally. I don't want to, I don't want to describe my faith to other people. I'm not going to do that. Only in instances where I have to Really? Is that going to get the job done, that kind of approach? You know that it will not. Let me take you back to those first Christians again just for a minute. Remember how we observed that they, they set the bar really high. They put into practice this idea of 100% commitment to the Lord. And when it came to sharing their faith and teaching others, we know that, for instance, the apostles in the early chapter of Acts set a wonderful example. They were threatened. They were persecuted. Acts chapter 5, beginning verse 40. When they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Compare those apostles and those early Christians who ceased not, even when they were under threat, even when they'd already been beaten for it and were under a threat, By these powerful men, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus. How does that compare to the guy who says, I just don't want to talk about my faith. I don't like to share my faith. I'm not going to tell anybody about my Christian faith. Doesn't get the job done, does it? And so, 
Here's five simple categories. And again, I think you can expand that list tremendously, make all kinds of application. The idea is total commitment. And total commitment is absolutely adversely contrary to the idea of bare minimum. Bare minimum and total commitment do not go together, right? They simply do not. What about us? Would the Lord be pleased? Would He thank me for doing just the bare minimum in service to Him? You know the answer to that, don't you? The answer is that He absolutely would not be happy with that level of commitment and service. And so as Christians, we need to think about and work hard at putting ourselves wholly and completely into the service of God. I hope that we'll all be encouraged to do that. And I'm sure that it's a situation where we can all do better and improve. When no one is going to be able to say, I have achieved. I have, I have been 100% committed this week. I, I haven't let down, not any at all. We can always do better, can't we? And we need to do better in total commitment to the Lord. Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say. We're going to end our lesson with a song of invitation. As we sing this song, we'll be asking each and every one, are you right with God? Of course, that would initially mean obeying that simple gospel plan of salvation. Upon hearing the truth and believing it, you must repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins. If you've not done that, we would urge you to make that decision without delay. We'd be glad to sit down and study with you. We'd be anxious to do that. If you have questions and need more answers before you make that decision, please say a word. We'd be glad to study with you. You need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ in obedience to the gospel plan of salvation so that your past sins will be forgiven. You'll be in a relationship with the Lord in His body, the church. You'll have the hope of going to heaven when this life is over. If you're a Christian already, but you have not been living that 100% commitment, you've been maybe trying to get by with a bare minimum, we urge you to repent. Come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.